This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast, where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find and make the other read them. On this episode of Bibliovile, Nick read The Sweet By and By by Sarah Evans and Rachel Hawk, and Susan read World of Warcraft Chronicle, Volume 1. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. I am the co-host of this podcast. And I'm Susan Dickinson. The other co-host of this podcast. <laughs> uh, she's not just sitting around. Well, you probably know that because uh, you're one of the five people who listen to this podcast. And since you're one of the five people, I think I should re-explain the rules again. Uh, Susan and I go to the Iowa City Public Library once every two weeks. We check out the worst book we can find and then give it to the other one, make them read it, and then make them give a book report, sight unseat. well, I suppose you see the books. Yeah, but we don't sight talk- unheard? Yes, yeah, sight unheard. We have not Sound talked- unheard. Sound unheard. Yeah. Much like this podcast, uh, we have not talked about these books before this podcast, so you, uh, listener, will be hearing it at the same rate as uh, we on the podcast here. Uh, we are doing another mid-morning uh, podcast recording full of coffee and sweatpants. It's going to be pretty great. Also, it's the first snow of the season. So it's Woke nice up and this cozy. this morning, looked out the window. It's a winter wonderland. It's like Mick always refers to it as jewelry commercial snow. Oh, yeah. Big old flakes. Mm-hmm. They're really pretty soft stuff. It's a very nice day to sit inside and drink coffee and not leave the house. And sit in a makeshift studio made of two different blankets mm-hmm. and be wrapped up in a third. Technically, one is a blanket and the other is a curtain. All right. Well. We're pretty high tech here at Bibliobio. Thanks for woman-splaining that to me. Um, we What we have for you today is something a little bit different that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, what I got for Susan is not really nonfiction and it's not really a novel. How would you describe what I've gotten for you? So, Mick got me a chronicle of the history of World of Warcraft. Yeah. So, it doesn't even, like, there's not an author listed on the book at all. It's just, it's just a a conglomeration of stories about the, the history of the world that the game World of Warcraft exists in. Not even like the plot of the game either. No, no. It's and I'll get to that in a second, but it's not even <laughs> the plot of the game, it's all the backstory about like how the world was created and the whole mythos behind World of Warcraft. Oh. Yeah. And it's volume one of three, so I don't even get the full story. <laughs> Nice. I have to say, I found this uh, the last time we went. What was the last book I got you? Um, it was Shift. Shift. When I went to go find Shift, I was up in the... I had already picked out Shift, already given it to Susan. Uh, and then I was up in the nonfiction looking for something for myself, because I always like to think that I will read uh, books that I choose, and I, I don't. Uh, but I was up in the nonfiction, and for some reason, the World of Warcraft, this chronicle, was just sitting on a shelf upstairs in the library. It's not nonfiction at all. It's extraordinarily fiction. It's about as fictitious as you can get. Uh, but I saw it, and it's gigantic. It's huge. It's, it's like, like a coffee size table of my book. Torso, yeah. uh, and I said, I have to have that, but I had already given it to Sue. So I take, took a picture of it, uh, saved it away, uh, got real excited for the this uh, book report. 
To to be fair, to mix credit, he did give me a choice. He had picked out a second book as well, and he was like, I'll give you your pick. One is like our standard type of bibliophile pick. It was like a science fiction action kind of book. Yeah, no shifting. And then the other option was this World of Warcraft one. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be brave today. We're going to try something new. Let's do it. And so we did. How'd it go? How was it? It was all right. It was interesting. <laughs> Don't read my notes. No I'm spoiling. It's the only lit up thing in here. So the first chapter was actually pretty interesting. Um, it was all, it was a lot like Greek mythology, to be honest. Like, it was all about how, like, the world was created and the different, like, More types like geek of, mythology. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the types of, like, mythological beings that inhabited the world. And so it was, like, it was all right. It was like reading a slightly different version of Greek mythology. Hmm. And so um, I decided that since this book is so huge, I was just going to try to find, like, some major themes from each chapter. And the, like, the biggest theme in chapter one is about, like, creation and transition. And basically, there's, like, a group that get, that that creates the world and organizes the world, brings order to it. And then they kind of get tired of it and decide they want to go do something different. So ah, they yes. create creatures to take over and watch over the world for them. And then those creatures continue to take care of and create and bring order to the world. And then they get tired of it, so they create creatures that can take care of it for them and so on and so forth. So this just sort of keeps going for a while throughout chapter one. It's just like one group after the other that just gets tired of taking <laughs> care of the world. Um, and that's and that's chapter one. It was It wasn't bad. I found myself being pretty interested. There was a ton of different groups and... and life forms and creatures and spirits that were mentioned. And I actually jotted down a note at one point saying that if I were to have to take a test on the mythology of this world, I'd probably get a C. Like, I wouldn't fail it, but I wouldn't do great either. But then we kind of close out on chapter one, and we start on chapter two, which is all about destruction and war. So the trolls fight the Akir, the Mantids fight the Mogu, the Mogu fight everybody else, the Pandaren fight the Mogu, the trolls fight the Pandaren, the Pandaren and the Cloud Serpents fight the trolls. It's just, like, war after war after attack after attack. Like, mm. everyone fights everyone else, and that's pretty much the entirety of Chapter 2. Well, it's not called the World of Peacecraft. That's true, it's not. Um, and so these, all of these creatures have to get very, very good at war, apparently. <laughs> I, we should put a disclaimer in here. Susan, you have never played World I've of Warcraft. I've never played World of Warcraft. Or expressed any sort of interest in it. I have not. Uh, for two weeks, I think it was my junior or sophomore year of high school, I did a two-week free trial of World of Warcraft and went, oh, okay. And then that was about the extent of it, because I was like, this, is, this could have been fun if I didn't have to pay so much money to press my right mouse click a bunch yeah um i also play the game hearthstone which is a trading card game based in world of warcraft it's free to play it's pretty fun i'm a nerd but uh let's see how much stuff i can uh identify from this book just by a trading card game there was one thing that as i was reading mick was sitting next to me on the couch and there this book is illustrated with actually like pretty cool illustrations like they're very well done um, and there was this big illustration of the Fire Lord, and Mick goes, oh, that's Ragnaros, the Fire Lord. And I just looked at him very sideways, well, like, how did you know well, that? Well, you see, Ragnaros is an 8-cost, eight 8-8 eight, eight minion that can attack, 
at the end of every turn. Anyway, so chapter three is all about cultures and races that are trying to build an empire from the ruins of all this war. And they succeed briefly, but like ultimately they fail. And so evil keeps taking over like well-intentioned creatures. So like it's essentially just the rise and fall of one civilization after the next. And Mm. that's chapter three. And that's pretty much where we leave off at the end of it. Um, And kind of throughout all three chapters, we have a big baddie. His name, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Sargeris. Sargeris? Sargeris? I can't read it because you won't show me your notes. S-A-R-G-E-R-A-S. Sargeris. No. I'm going to continue to pronounce it because the the A and the E are, so you switch the A and the E around. Sargeris. Whatever. So this guy is a titan. So he's one of like the original people who created the world. And he basically, like, goes crazy, and he's convinced that the world is going to become corrupted, and the only way to prevent it from becoming corrupted is to destroy everything. Ah, yes, the AI in science fiction. Yeah, so he destroys all of the rest of the Titans. He destroys their bodies, but not their spirits. Um, And he's banished. That's That's in chapter one. And then in chapter two, there's a queen who kind of like pushes too far when she's trying to expand her kingdom and she unknowingly draws him to the world. And he creates (laughs) this army called the Burning Legion that like basically sets a bunch of stuff on fire and destroys it. And then in chapter three, the Legion is stopped and Sardris is banished. Um, But in order to do that, they had to destroy something called the Well of Eternity, which was how he was getting into the world. And that also destroyed the Night Elf civilization, which was oh, like no. the main civilization. And it broke the physical world into pieces. They call it the Great Sundering. So like this world that was basically one big continent is now like four or five different continents uh, because it broke into many pieces. So the tectonic plates mm-hmm. are a well of souls. Pretty much, yeah. Or eternity. And like... I talked about how the first chapter especially was pretty similar to Greek. Like, it was a lot like Greek mythology. And much like Greek mythology, there were a lot of big ideas running underneath it. Like, this whole theme of, like, can you eradicate evil from the world bit by bit? Or do you basically have to just, like, destroy everything and start over? Is existence flawed? And is that why evil exists? Holy cow. Should we be trusting? Or should we always be on the lookout for corruption? And then... In chapters two and three, there's a lot about, like, how religions are formed. And uh, basically a lot of the religions in this world are formed because civilizations misinterpret, like, explicable phenomena. And to be fair, like, the explicable phenomena are a being is trapped in the earth and one of the civilizations thinks that it is the earth mother. (laughs) So (laughs) you're saying that it's supernatural, but it's the wrong supernatural. Yeah, a little bit. Um, But there are, I mean, like, there's some pretty big and major themes that are explored and like the exploration of those is actually done pretty well which is cool so you're saying the backstory of world War of warcraft is actually very deep mother sure um <laughs> there are a couple things though that i think you will find amusing because Ooh. i also found them amusing Ooh. um from chapter two onward the subheadings are all like followed by a number like one hundred thousand years before the dark portal 85,000 years before the Dark Portal. 70,000 years, like, and counts downward and downward, yeah. um, bit by bit. So I'll come back to that. So every every chapter, for, or every section from chapter two onward is counting down towards the opening of the Dark Portal. So they made a prequel before they made the actual thing. I'll get there. I'm sorry. So other things that made me laugh. So whenever evil is defeated, they never kill it outright. They just bury it 
and like stash the souls of their adversaries in some sort of subterranean prison under the earth which is a always a bad idea like just freaking kill it y'all because they always escape or the evil somehow like leaks into other things and corrupt things this happens at least five different times well, if they didn't have dungeons, then what are you supposed to put dragons in? No, that's a different game. Oh, I'm sorry. But speaking of dragons, see? there are dragons in World of Warcraft. Of and it was really funny because these come up at the very end of chapter one. And I, I was like, all right, I will accept all of this up to this point. And then they started talking about dragons and they totally lost me. Because the dragons have this super, like, after-school specially kind of story. What? And this is a sentence that is literally lifted from the end of the story about the dragons. By using their powers in harmony and trusting in one another, the five proto-dragons vanquished their gargantuan foe. <laughs> by their powers combined. Sponsored by Juicy Fruit. <laughs> I'm Captain Azeroth. That's the name of the world. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. Like Captain Planet. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means. In the what? Middle... I'm sorry, pause. What's Captain Planet? You don't know Captain Planet? No, what's Captain Planet? It's a pop... I should know better than this by now, but it is a, like, pop culture cornerstone for terrible after-school stuff. I've never heard of it. We only had PBS. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was on PBS. Oh, I just it's watched like the a lot green of Zoom. Or the blue dude with green hair, and he's, like, represents the force of, like, earth day type naturalism and he's got like five kid followers and they each represent an, an element of fire earth water none of this is ringing any bells to me what's the last like but then there's a stupid kid with a monkey and he's got love is the fifth element and i'm like no whatever. you're making all that up no it's true and they had to like really? defeat like yeah industrial magnates and they were like pigs and boss oh. smog instead of boss hog Interesting. And by their powers combined, he is Captain Planet. Oh. Neat. I've never heard of that before. My joke was very funny. Okay, I'm sure it was a very funny. So back to World of Warcraft. Um, there there are a couple of names, too, that really got me. Like, most of them are like, alright, whatever, this is super, super high fantasy. Yeah. Like, there's gonna be high fantasy It's like 420 names. fantasy. But there's one dude named, I think it's a lady, actually, named Chandris Feathermoon. Ooh. I like that name like a lot. sounds like she goes to EDM. Um, Festivals. She kind of does. And then on page 104, there is the character whose name is Jared. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like Jared Featherstone or something like that. Like he's got an appell an appellation to it, but like Jared. His name is just Jared. I am Nefarian. I will ruin the world. No, you won't. I'm Jared. I'm Jared. And he is like a hero of that particular section. Well, you lost a lot of weight. And, oh, um, similar to many of my books, like, you know, in all my shifting books, how they never actually explain how shifting works. Yeah. We never actually get an explanation of how the, like, how the power or any of the magic works in World of Warcraft. Like, we hear a lot about power seeping into the earth or seeping into other things. We have no idea how that works. And, um, like, so-and-so used it, used their power to defeat, I'm like, is this, like, physical military power is this like magic how does the magic work we have no idea it's mm. just it's just well you see they they anthropomorphic power killed a bunch of uh little boars and leveled up to level 99 oh and then after the great sundering so after the world breaks in many pieces um the high elves 
get in a boat and sail out to the east, which happens in every single no, piece of fantasy ever. Always to the east, always get on a boat, they always leave. I think more should be made that they're called high elves. Like, yeah, high elves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. High um, fantasy. Yeah. A society in which magic users are in power is called a magocracy. Oh. Which I, I thought was kind of funny. Um, and then at the very end, it's on page 138, there's this section about the Gurubashi Civil War that I just took a look at, and there were so many capital words in it that I was just like, no, I don't I don't need to read that. Well, I'm done. I know about Gurubashi Berserkers. Oh, tell me more. Um, they're a 5 cost 2-7, and every time it takes damage, it's, it, its attack goes up. You might be a little nerdy than I knew you were. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is all from one game. Though. Oh, good. You wait a minute. What? How do we find nerdy then? Because if you did not know as nerdy, I I record a podcast on terrible books that I read. I know. I know. I'm as nerdy as you are. Um, <laughs> in that. the end, though, we learn, and this is like the last page. We learn that Sardarus is inhabiting the soul of a powerful young man named Medivh. Medivh. And Medivh, and he is planning his next move. And we learn nothing about the dark portal. What? We start. We start 45 years before the opening of the Dark Portal, and we have no idea what it's about. So you get you get all the way up to 45 years before? Yep. And that's it? That's it. That's so the, the whole end. time? That's the end. Dark, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? Right? So I actually, so I don't know, as we mentioned, I don't know anything about World of Warcraft. I've never played it. I wasn't that interested in, like, doing a whole lot of research on my own. So I actually... Facebook message a friend of mine from high school. His name is Ben. Hi, Ben. He listens to our podcast. Hey. Um, and he played it for a while. And yeah, I think he was a very concerned when I was like, hey, so have you ever played World of Warcraft? And he was like, oh, God, why? <laughs> um, he played it for a while. It doesn't play it anymore. It, like he said it just wasn't really a thing and, like, it's expensive and whatever. So um, he told me a little bit about it. And apparently... Like, none of the history that I read about Matters. is really relevant yeah. in the game at all. Like, well, it's a, it's an MMORPG, a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is that you're supposed to, like, you're supposed to be in this world that already exists. So, none like, no plot can happen. Yeah. Because then that would change the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, none of this, like, for a person who played the game for a fair amount of time... He didn't, he was not familiar with any of the stuff that I read. So it's just all like way, 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 way back in the day backstory. And a lot of the stuff that apparently is like pretty important in the game itself never came up in the book that I read at all. Like he said that orcs are a huge thing in the game. Oh yeah, the horde. Yep. Orcs aren't brought up at all in <laughs> in this version. I think that's what the dark portal is. I think, I think so too. He said something about how like his conception of like what the beginning of it was is that the orcs created a portal to bring them to a different world because theirs was uninhabitable. And I don't know if the world that they got brought into was Azeroth or that was the world they left. No, that's the world they got brought, brought into. Brought into. So apparently that's the dark portal when all the orcs come in, mm. maybe. Um, but I just thought that was really funny that, like, basically all of the stuff that I read and learned about World of Warcraft is not pretty much man. not related to World of Warcraft <laughs> at all. All for not. Um. But, and you, you kind of brought this up, like, I feel like 
World of Warcraft is considered to be like one of those super, super nerdy things. Yeah, like, everyone has their benchmarks. Yeah, super nerds play World of Warcraft. And I feel like Dungeons and Dragons is another one of those benchmarks. And like we play D&D oh, yeah. regularly, like every other week with, with family. And like I can see definite tie-ins between like the mythology of World of Warcraft and like D&D, Legend of Zelda, um, like Game of Thrones, Skyrim, Lord of the Rings, like yeah. there are connections to all of those things. So like, who like, I don't know. Like Mick said, we have a podcast about books, so I feel like we can't really cast too many aspersions on things that are nerdy. And there were parts of it that were super cool. I talked about this um, a lot more in the blog post, but like a lot of this is crowdsourced, so it's a ton of different people that have created this content. Like there are novels, all the history was created. Like it's not like I Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think I would have been madder about that. Um, but they're like Lord of the Rings was just one dude wrote all this stuff, and World of Warcraft was like a lot of people care a whole lot about this thing, and so they like created all this artwork and music mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. So like, for sure, not my thing. There were parts of it that I thought were super ridiculous and weird, but like, cool. Like, chase your bliss. Good yeah, for you. That's for sure. That's cool. D and D is the same way. A lot of D and D isn't written by. George F. D and D, you know, <laughs> not even Gary Gygax really. Yeah, because I know who invented D and D. Like I said, I'm a huge nerd. Uh, not even he got to like influence what the world looks like that much. I mean, yeah. no one really gets to influence what the world of D and D looks like. That's what makes it awesome. Yeah, because basically, as long as you you don't even have to use swords and bows and stuff, it's just a system. And that's what I love about D&D, because sometimes we'll be playing like, oh, you're riding on a horse through the mountains, and you come across an inn, and other times we're like, you're on a train, and you get a phone call. <laughs> yeah. Wait, phones exist? Don't worry about it. We're just moving on with the plot. <laughs> One time we played, like, sort of D&D, but within the Star Wars universe, but oh, yeah. we used a lot of D&D rules. Like, yeah. Yeah, because... You it... can sort of do whatever you want. Yeah. Susan solved a murder in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Or at least she was supposed to, and then we stopped. But... Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go get another cup of coffee uh, and take a chance to stretch my legs because, as you may know, we are in the foyer, 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 foyer of our uh, bedroom. So we have been sitting crisscross applesauce for nigh on half an hour now. So uh, we're going to take a short break. I'll be back after this with a, a neat surprise. I'm excited about it. But and Dickinson is planning something, and I am scared. What you just heard over the break were some of the uh, opening lines of our current author's country song that she wrote this book based off of. That would be Sarah Evans and her book or her song Born to Fly, which uh, barely comes up in this book except for weird sort of uh, mentions of someone wanting to be a bird. Uh, but I have a surprise for you guys. I read Sarah Evans with Rachel Hauk, because uh, Sarah Evans is a country music star, I assume, I've heard, uh, not an author. So she got an author to help her. She made the book The Sweet By and By. Susan, would you explain a little bit about what made you choose this? So I actually, I found this whole section um, of Sarah Evans books and they were labeled as Christian. Some of them were labeled as Christian romances. 
and I found them a couple weeks ago um, and and decided to like hang on to that for a later date. So I came back to it, but I had been thinking in the meantime, I was like, Sarah Evans is a country music artist, but there's no way it could be the same Sarah Evans. And then I went back to see it again, and it is the same Sarah Evans, and it's based off of country music songs, and Mick hates country music. Because I'm a smart person. And so I decided that that was necessary, and that needed to happen. Oh, good. Well, I'm going to tell you that... You know, Sarah Evans can write a country music song and then write a book off of it. How about I read her book and then I wrote a song off of it? So I wrote oh, a country no. music st- uh, song that uh, kind of sums up the story of the book from the boyfriend's perspective. The book is originally from a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. I wrote the book from the or the st- the song from the boyfriend's perspective, uh, and so I downloaded a royalty-free. Uh, kind of country sounding thing that i'm gonna try to edit in if i don't then this whole thing will be deleted anyway but it's by ben sound you can find him online he has royalty free all sorts of different music uh and so i have a beautiful singing voice and i really know how to sing country and there are some spoiler alerts in here but i think it's important to get them all out at once oh no okay so Well, this girl and me, we're getting married. I'm a lawyer, she's got a shop for old jeans and couches. (laughs) We're so happy, even with backaches and panic attacks. But then she tells me about a boy who stole her heart way back when and made her get an abortion. Oh, also her dad's not dead, like she said. But heaven forbid I have a cigar or a drink. She's not worried about my ex-fiance or former pill addiction because of my back. Anyway, we've got an an old dog who got hit by a fucking truck on our first date. Plus, my dad is a known philanderer, but that subplot immediately disappears from the book. So basically what I'm saying is we all need Jesus and everyone gets them all at once, like Rebel and Dixon, Bump and Rice, Dick <laughs> and Rolf and Harlan, too. Margot, Elio, Rico and Clem, Betsy and Wayne and the whole fucking zoo. By the ending, we've got a surprising twist. It's a baby from a nice chase kiss. Hopefully we don't get divorced, but her mom did five times to all different men. Oh, also, my wife had a husband with no annulment because her mom forgot to sign the papers. The end. (laughs) Um, so that's the song I wrote about this book. I kind of lost the thread a little bit every once in a while, but... Uh, I expect Sarah Evans to come knocking at my door anytime now for a recording contract. 
Can you repeat some of those names to me that are characters in the book? I will One list... of them is named Bump? I will list all of the names because I wrote almost every single one of them down because they're all And stupid. Rebel? Rebel and Bump and Dixon? So our, our main character is Jade. Jade. Her mother is Beryl. Like the... Gemstones. B-E-R-Y-L. Oh. Uh, those are our two main characters in the book. Focus... I thought you were going to say it was Beryl, like the thing that you keep oh, no. whiskey in. <laughs> Uh, the the book revolves mainly around their relationship and not the relationship of the the woman and her fiance Max. Max is the only person with a normal name. Here are the other names that I noticed: Rebel, Dixon, Bump, Rice, Gig, as in G I G, Rolf, Harlan, Beryl, Willow, Mary Lee, or yeah, Mary Lee, Harvey, Daphne, Margot. Elio, Rico, Tabby, Eclipse, Kendall, Dust, Rowdy, Lincoln, Clem, Wayne, and Betsy. Daphne and Margo are the only names of that list that don't suck. <laughs> yeah, well, um, one interesting thing about this book that I've been noticing, or that I noticed as I was reading it, is that the first, I would say, half, maybe like four, no, whatever, first half, we'll call it three-fifths of the book, is so completely boring and nondescript that it, like, I was blazing through this thing. And you were like, are you going to be able to make it funny? And then you went yesterday to go, like, to the Christmas market uh-huh. with uh, fan favorite Erica. Whoop, whoop. Well, podcast favorite Erica. Uh, and you were gone for several hours, at which time I read the rest of this book. And it's a good thing you were gone because I was furious <laughs> at this book. It was so bad. I got a text message about two hours after I had left, and Nick was like, when are you coming home? Because this book just went off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Um, this I thought at the beginning that this might, Nicholas Sparks, the man himself, uh, this might go off the rails. This might go, uh, you know, Christian uh, fiction and country music are pretty much, it's the will-they-won't-they they, uh, sitcom couple already. But anyway, so we meet Jade as she's already engaged to Max, preparing for her wedding in somewhere in Tennessee. And, you know, it's a it's a Christian fiction book, and so everyone has to be kind of crappy at the beginning so they can all be redeemed. But it's not, like, terrifically bad. I would say if there's one good thing from this book, and there are several, you know, the, the writing wasn't terrible. Uh, the characters do seem like, well-rounded and three-dimensional, and they've got their goods and their bads and their reasons, mm-hmm. which is a very good relief. Very good relief. That, yeah. I, mean, I think the writing of this book might have influenced your grammar a little bit here, Dathan. I have no quotes to pull from this book, namely because, once again, it's one of those things where there's no one time where things go off, like, bad. It's just kind of like the general air. But also because it would be impossible to find, because this is like... I've never watched the Gilmore Girls, but this is what I assume people want out of the Gilmore Girls, where it's like really snappy dialogue and everyone always has a rejoinder. And this book, I would have to imagine, is at least 85% dialogue. Oh, wow. Like the only time that there's narration is when somebody like reacts with their body to huh. another piece of dialogue. And so it's wow. impossible to hop back into the book because you can't find where you had stopped easily. Anyway. Uh, oh, and I forgot one. Lilibeth is the name. Lilibeth. Yeah. Um... So Jade is getting married to Max, and we open the book with her 
fretting whether or not to send an invitation to her estranged mother, who is Beryl. Uh, this we all learn this throughout the course of the book that because like through flashbacks she eventually invites her and she comes early and max and jade are like a good enough couple although max seems just like he doesn't really seem to have much of a personality other than he's easily pressured by old friends which was like a weird uh kind of flaw kind of like marty mcchicken's uh marty mcfly's chicken comments you know marty mcchicken (laughs) (laughs) 1.21 giga calories anyway uh so he the only thing about max is that he says really cute things apparently and then jade like loves him and they have made an agreement to never bring up their past at all their lives met when they met each other or their lives started when they met each other so like they know each other's past and backstory and all of that they just don't talk about it anymore like they've been over they just don't they don't know each other's like anything about their past what yeah so and they're, wait no no and they're no getting married. no yep. they're getting married yeah and they refuse to tell anything to the other person about their past yep their life started when they met each other there is no past no <laughs> that is not correct so they uh early in the book they go to like a lutheran marriage council or like they're gonna get married in this church and so they have to go talk to the reverend and the reverend told them hi you need to talk about your past to each other no he asked the very weird thing about like uh jada have you been baptized have you been married before have you been all these things and she's like yeah totally and uh, uh no to the baptized yes to the married before thing because apparently southern preachers will not marry somebody if they've been like i don't understand where that question came from other than to set up reveals in the book like people can get married after they get divorced yeah yeah um but anyway so then it turns into like oh she's got trouble with her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law won't stop send like giving her way too much money and all this stuff like her fiance is a very eligible bachelor other than his back problems of like he's a lawyer and his parents are super rich and they're connected to all the rest of the super rich things and she's a farm girl from iowa uh, which was pretty fun that the being from Iowa. Yeah, thing. you've been getting a like your last two books have had yeah, the Iowa connection. But the the last book she was from Iowa and wrote about Iowa in a way that made sense, other than the whole like highway and twenty minutes thing. But super coffee. Um, this woman is not from Iowa. I don't think I think Sarah Evans is probably from Tennessee, where the book takes place. I don't know if the Tennessee geography makes sense, but whatever. You can tell that she did some very good googling, either Sarah Evans or Rachel. Hauk, the co-author, uh, because she talks about like, oh, Newton, and we went to the Maid Right in Newton, and we were at Prairie City, and there's, oh yeah, and there's a couple high schools that are mentioned, like Mid Prairie, that they play them in football because we get flashbacks of when Jade was in high school, and then there's other things that do not make sense, and I understand, I can't expect people from in, around the country to know everything about Iowa, but it's kind of like that uncanny valley where uh, it comes just close enough to be like recognizable but is still very wrong and your brain like reacts to it. Like they call it, uh, he's got a wrestling, he's got a wrestling scholarship to Northern Iowa university. Oh no. I hate it when people do that. Which It's funny because we call it Northern Iowa every once in a while, but no one ever calls it Northern Iowa university. It's the university of Northern Iowa. And they even like initialize it to NIU. No, that's in Illinois. That's all wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then, What's even better is that uh, Beryl, her mother, admits that at one time she went to go take classes at Iowa U. 
Oh, also bad. And I'm like, Iowa I, is a is a famous school. Yeah. You and I is a pretty niche kind of small thing. Right? Yeah. And I understand that, but and I we went to you and I for those of you who don't know, but. I mean, I know that the University of Tennessee is not called the Tennessee U. They're called UT, Tennessee, or the Volunteers, Go Vols, whatever, Rocky Top. Like you, yeah. The University of Iowa is a pretty major thing. Yeah, it's a pretty big thing. I don't, I can't think of a single thing where you say the state and then you after it anymore. No. I'm going to Illinois U, fighting a lion eye. Yeah. I'm going to Idaho U. Like, no, nothing of, I don't know why I'm only listing I states, but no one ever says state U anymore, except for the Simpsons, the Springfield U. Uh, so, she's from Iowa, and I'm conflicted because I want to do this in uh, chronological order, but it's told through flashbacks of her, like, sitting down and finally letting all this past loose, and she's she's all thorny for her mom because her mom, like, straight up, every once in a while, will be like, bye, kids. And leave. Her dad left when she was like eight years old to go be a uh, powerful lawyer in Washington. And her mom was a flower child. Or they were both flower child children. But her mom stayed in Iowa to be a flower child. She didn't like the idea of being powerful and everything. She was fighting for the common man. And the dad goes to Washington and leaves them both. And on his way out is like, ah, we could have done this so much easier without kids. And so all the kids don't like their parents. So they're estranged. Which is sad. But then uh, uh, we get... Tellings of flashbacks now that Jade is like getting married to Max and all of a sudden realizes that maybe she should tell him a little bit about their backstory. Yeah, that's like relationships 101. Yeah. Um, you should tell each other things. Especially, I spoiled this in the song uh, if you listen through that, but uh, Jade is getting married to Max. She's very excited. And then Max uh, is a lawyer and so he does some research, like uh, not snooping, but like some research that needs to be done for legal reasons. And Jade is. Still married. She got married in high school. And she's still married. And she's still married. The annulment that she thought went through, at one point, is pointed towards her mom forgetting to sign the papers. Like, to annul. Because she got married uh, when she was 16 and her boyfriend was 17. And it's pointed at one time that she forgot to sign the papers. And then later in the book, uh, it's that the boyfriend's, or the husband, I suppose dad thought they would get back together because so he didn't sign the papers yeah i don't know who didn't sign the annulment papers because they forged their parents signatures to get married and here's a thing that i thought was very nice about it. this is a christian fiction book which you know whatever christian fiction is like even some of my most devout friends would roll their eyes at the idea of christian fiction yeah like it's just kind of lame but i was very happy that the high schoolers that were portrayed as like oh we're so in love and this is gonna last forever and there, it's very obvious that the boyfriend is like, oh, I was raised to do this right. And he wants to get married because he wants to have sex. Yeah. And the, the Jade, uh, being raised by a hippie, was like, no, we don't, like, we don't have to wait. You know, it's, yeah. it's fine if we're in love. And, and I was very happy that that was treated as like, dog, don't get married. Just have sex. Like, I was really worried that Christian fiction would be like, if they did it before. And that was what she was all torn up about. Uh, yeah. so he got married and she, he promised forever. And the high schoolers and the teenagers are written very well in that they're super insufferable Yeah, <laughs> because they get married in the spring in the secret thing. And then they have to live apart the whole time because they don't tell their parents, which what's your, what's your end game? And yeah. I mean, that's shitty teenagers, but then they, uh, uh, 
he gets back in he gets a scholarship to NIU, NIU and oh for wrestling God. and he's not going to pass that opportunity up and so that means leaving her behind and now he's getting involved with football and oh she's the old ball and chain which is used several times That's in this book gross. which I've never heard before or I've heard it before but I don't hear it any like no one no. says that um and so she's feeling neglected and then she comes over to his house to wait for him to come home from this like football gathering and his mom is like oh you know dust told me that you were i think it's a good idea to kind of take a break while he goes to college so he told me that you guys broke up whoops <laughs> yeah and then he uh comes in the door with like a girl on his back very obviously flirting and then he's like oh no wait i'm sorry i i do want to stay with you and she's like oh good and so they stay together and then finally they break up because uh they discover that they're married or whatever and he goes and does his life uh, after supposedly getting an annulment. And wouldn't you... I'm going to do this in chronological order. Wouldn't you know it? Because the backstory is the thing that matters. Wouldn't you know it? She got pregnant. Oh, and no. And ne- never once are, like, wieners or uh, anything mentioned. They mention condoms. They describe them. They don't... She doesn't even name condom. Um, she got pregnant. And so the main crux of her life that has been gnawing at her from the inside is that she gets an abortion from the baby. And I mean, that makes sense. People tend to regret that. But uh, if you have any uh, guesses as to how an abortion clinic would be treated in a Christian fiction novel, you are correct. Uh, It's described that they went through and uh, counted the the body parts to make sure that the entire baby was out. Yeah. And so her mom's like, uh, Jade's mom goes, oh, you know, it, it hurts, liter- like it literally hurts, uh, but both the physical and the emotional hurt will fade over time. Bye. And she goes uh, on the road with a new boyfriend. And so after getting an abortion, her mo- her daughter has no mom to turn to. And so th- that's this whole conflict. And the way that this is treated is infuriating because back in present day, she's not telling her husband this or her fiance this. And she's also not, like, admitting anything about her dad not being dead. She told her husband that her dad was dead. And so, like, you have to see the fiancé just kind of get this knowledge time and time again. And yeah. just kind of, like, process it and absorb it, which is pretty interesting because he does an okay job at it. But, uh, uh where was I? Oh, so she's supposed to call the du- Dustin, Dust, her first husband and, like, baby daddy, to sign the annulment papers, but no one can find him anymore and so she's like oh we found his number you should call him there's 15 days before the wedding to get this annulment done 15 work days to annul it so we can literally get married and then we go back for another flashback we come back to the present day and he's like jade you gotta do it there's only six days left Uh, i'm like why did you not do that for eight i understand like oh you know this is going to be awkward and maybe putting it off for like an hour or fretting about or having a drink first but eight to put days. Out for a week, yeah. Yeah, and then she still doesn't. She never does it because he comes walking through her shop door. Oh. Yeah, and she's like, That's she's conflicted about like, oh man, do I really have it in me to end this marriage that like it was my first love? And I'm like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Me? You haven't seen this person you in have, ages. You, You're about to get married to someone you claim to love. You have thought you, you've been divorced this entire annulled yeah. this entire time. What about it happening now is going to be harder. Like, it should be easier now than it was then. Because you thought it had already been done. Yeah, so that rings really hollow. But eventually he signs the papers and he's like, do you think we would have made it if we had tried again? And to her credit, she's like, shut up. (laughs) Like, go away. I don't, 
she's all sad and crying and stuff. And she has multiple panic attacks, which you wouldn't believe it, but the power of positive thinking solves panic attacks. That is very frustrating That to is me. extraordinarily frustrating. If you frustrating. are having panic attacks, you should go to your doctor and, and figure out a way to make those stop happening and to to help you with your anxiety. Yeah. Because um, the power of positive thinking is not really a substitute for anxiety medication. It is not. And she sees, like, the walls uh, closing in on her, and then she has to just think of happy things, and then they go away, and she can breathe again and function. And everyone always treats her like... Are you okay? What's wrong with you? Like, dog, she had a panic attack. Leave her alone. You should recognize this. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so her fiancé goes on his bachelor weekend, uh, where he later gets blindfolded and kidnapped to Vegas and loses in the tens of thousands of dollars. But it's okay, because that's what his parents were giving them for a wedding present. As well as her mother-in-law buying her property that she explicitly said she did not want. Anyway, uh, but on this trip, she has to go pick up some antiques because she runs a vintage shop. There's a whole thing. Uh, takes her mom with her, and this is where they're going to shake out because the car breaks down. They're going to shake out all the problems. Oh. And so she gets mad, and they have, they have it out. This is where we're finding out about the like her leaving. And so, you know, the, the emotional ramping up, both in the past and uh, in present. She goes, and she sleeps in her broken-down truck in the garage, like in the truck shop, and then comes back and lays on the swing and just for like no particular reason is like oh wait a minute jesus and then gets converted like has this whole meeting with the holy spirit which your faith is yours and it's amazing uh belief drives so many people to positive things but this is treated as just like a uh plot necessity not as any sort of like personal realization that's frustrating like ingrained very deep down belief but just kind of like oh wait a minute there's 20 pages left and she hasn't actually met jesus yet and so then the lady who runs the b&b where she was staying is like oh yeah he comes around here often if you know to wait for him and so she she knew she was coming because jesus told her so and it's whatever but then she it's her wedding day and uh, her mom invited her dad because Jesus also came to her and told her who in Beryl, who has not been religious her entire life uh-huh. and actively kind of resents the control of religion, which was like a pretty consistent character thing, which I appreciated, uh, gets talked to by Jesus to call her dad. And so she, the dad that she has not seen since he left when she was eight years old and on his way out said he didn't want the kids comes to her wedding and she's like, Oh daddy. And it's a tremendous uh reunification because you're gonna have to spend some time talking through all that stuff before you're ready for that there's like absolutely no lasting resentment a switch just flips every single time a switch needs to be flipped it's really frustrating and then they he's going to walk her down or he is staying out the dad's staying out of it and the the groom walks her down the aisle instead of the brother that was going to do it and probably felt very honored about it which was frustrating and then in the epilogue, it's Christmas, and they get a, uh, they're having a Christmas party at the shop that's doing very well now, because when you find Jesus, you get financial success. Uh, and she goes up to, oh, they got married in November, so this is one month later. Oh, okay. She tells her husband, hey, we're having a baby. Yay! The way he reacts is like, they didn't talk about it at all, but he's very excited about it one month after they got married. She wouldn't know yet. 
In, like, unless they conceived the baby before the wedding, she wouldn't know yet. Yep. There's You wouldn't know. There's <laughs> no way. Yeah. Um, that's pretty great. I you didn't, don't just, like, know instantaneously I didn't even pregnant. I didn't even figure that. I was just like, holy cow, one month is not long enough to establish a marriage first. Because uh, she was married to that high school guy for longer than a month and probably yeah. felt very in love. But anyway... Uh, so that is Sarah Evans' The Sweet By and By. One of the best parts that I did not realize until this morning, so I have no notes on it, is that this is designed to be a book circle group. And oh, no. so there are discussion questions <gasps> at the end. Oh, yeah, I love these. So here are some uh, choice examples. In Chapter 2, Mama, Beryl, struggles to open the back door of her parents' old farmhouse because her arms are full. What does this symbolize? Are there physical things in your life that symbolize your emotional or spiritual life? Are they positive or negative? Can you change them? And I just I love the idea of a bunch of upper-middle-class women sitting around with tea and little finger sandwiches and discussing this book seriously. Oh, my goodness. So, okay. How do you know the song that this is written about is Born to Fly? I, I guessing because in the book multiple times she talks about wanting to be a bird and flying away. Because I like I am familiar with the song by Sarah Evans called Born to Fly, and I don't see any connection between that song really? and the book. Does but, it have to do with like moving on and being uh, yeah, wild? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So I'm I'm willing to bet that I don't know if it's like a straight one to one or anything, but I just I don't know. That's great that's pretty fantastic that's great um so some special news for next episode next episode uh since we release every two weeks will come out let's see here on the 22nd which is my first day of school for christmas break very exciting uh will come out the 22nd three days before christmas and to celebrate such an important season uh susan and i are going to get each other one extra present and that is the present of good literature yeah, we are going to do a good books version of Bibliobile. So instead of the terrible book exchange, it's going to be the books we actually really like exchange. The Tenenbaum book exchange, because yeah. I love keeping acronyms the same. Yeah, so I am going to get Susan All Quiet on the Western Front. It's one of my favorite books. Might not be the funniest episode, but it'll also be over Christmas, so it might not be the longest uh, and Susan is getting me... Yeah, so Mick got me literature, and so I felt like I needed to to get him some sort of literature, like something good and deep, and then I decided not to do that at all. <laughs> um, so Mick is going to be reading just a really, really fun book that I really like. Um, it's a it's a fantasy book. It's called The Lies of Locke Lamora. It's excellent. Um, I think he's actually going to really like it, and I've been yeah. wanting to get him to read it, but Mick doesn't like to read books that I recommend unless he's forced to. <laughs> Mick doesn't like to do anything that people recommend. <laughs> hey, you should watch this Netflix show. No. Nah. <laughs> Okie doke. Well, that will do us for this uh, edition of Bibliovile. We will see you in two weeks with those special happy books. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. Susan is at Susan J. That is S three U's A-N or S-A-N-J. Um, you can also check out the blog posts that accompany the podcast on Mick's blog, which is opinionsandother.blogspot.com. And our intro music is Babe of the Night off of the album Rampant by the band Elixir. Or some combination thereof. Uh, I hope you guys have a great time. And I love you. All right. Thanks, Ben.